Welcome to In 20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, skepticism, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Welcome to The Six on VIX News, where we don't just report the news, we analyze it, break it down, and give you the truth. I'm Bill Shanity. Now, folks, let's dive into the seismic changes happening in our great nation under the new libertarian president. First up, the federal government is being gutted, and I say it's about time. We're witnessing a return to limited government principles that our founding fathers intended. The Supreme Court is getting back to its roots, focusing on interstate cases like water use rights and supply lines that cross state borders. But here's where it gets interesting. States now have almost full control over what laws go into effect within their borders. It's all about giving power back to the people, where it belongs. Now, in the blue states, they're going all out, legalizing abortion, gay marriage, reinstating public schools, and, get this, promising free college education. It's a progressive pipe dream, but at what cost? On the flip side, in the five Christian nationalist states, a different story is unfolding. Internet providers, except for the curated Brethren Net, are outlawed. Make sure you make it to church on time. In these states, citizens must carry a church attendance record to vote and have employment. Values and preserving a moral society should come before civic and business involvement. But what's truly fascinating Despite the strict measures, these states are seeing the greatest population increases. People are flocking to a more traditional way of life. These states don't collect taxes. The church is taking on all duties of state government. In other news, it's not just government employees losing their jobs. They call it Robot Retrofit 2.0. A new AI is going after college-level occupations. This AI can handle novel situations and start new tasks without previous training, as good as if not better than a Hume. High-skilled jobs are on the chopping block. Medical jobs, systems repair agents, engineers, city planners, you name it. Will the smug liberal become a thing of the past? On a more serious note, many data farming jobs are discontinuing. People are losing their livelihoods, and what's the result? More and more are turning to drugs, virtual reality, and other forms of escape. It's a crisis and it's happening right now. But here's the twist. In the midst of all this uncertainty, many are flocking to Christian nationalist states where jobs are guaranteed for active church members. It's like a beacon of hope. But is it merely a coincidence? Some say God works in mysterious ways. And speaking of the Almighty, has he been trying to contact you recently? It's a question worth pondering in these uncertain times. Now we've all witnessed the endless protests over the past year. But have you ever wondered how to send those annoying protesters packing? Well, it seems our fearless new president has found the answer. Millions have been clogging the streets outside the Capitol daily, demanding the controversial Climate Corps stays funded and active. But guess what happened yesterday? President Jackson took decisive action and cut all Climate Corps programs, including the Moon Cannons, officially named the Moonshot Program. And you won't believe what happened next. This morning, no protests. It's almost eerie how empty those public spaces are today. But of course, the opposition is never silent. The left is now cooking up a conspiracy, claiming that stopping the moon cannons will lead to a climate disaster. When does this disaster supposedly happen? According to them, less than a year from now. Should we be worried? Well, I've talked to many scientists, real experts, not the ones pushing a political agenda. 
and they say the left's claims are nothing more than a scheme to keep unnecessary government programs alive. The climate scare has been a tool of the left for decades, and now they're using it to undermine our president's bold actions. Don't fall for their scare tactics, America. Twins, Vaughn and Lenny, who attacked a delivery bot in episode 32, are 15 now. Tall and gangly, they step heavily, leaving deep prints in the fresh snow. They wear algae boots they dug out of a dumpster last spring. Both grow long, tangled hair. A gyro-balanced two-wheel cart follows them. As they walk down what used to be the interstate, Lenny watches a tube of Jace the water catcher in the upper half of his glasses. Jace faces the camera and says, I've got a new hack, you guys. Did you know the water testers and disposable bottles can be reused? You just need to charge them. You know what I'm talking about. That little bar on the label that glows blue when the bottle is new and can turn reddish when you drop dirt into the water. It's not a gimmick. A sensor behind the readout bar tests the water. You can charge them with link chargers. Jace the water catcher isn't much older than the twins. He inspires kids all over the nation to make money collecting, filtering, and selling water. He used to use one copter cam to record his videos, but now uses three that follow him on all sides so viewers can watch him from any side they like. As Lenny watches when he turns his head, the video POV changes. He likes semi-3D videos when he's sitting, but not so much when he's walking and needs to look around. The interstate crosses woods outside of Green Bluff. Green Bluff is a squatter neighborhood. The woods was urban Hartford, but left to nature almost all the buildings are caved in and piles of rubble covered by trees and bushes. It's hard to tell where roads once were. Faded graffiti covers fragments of walls, vines cover piles of car relics and mounds of garbage. A thick layer of snow covers all that. On the elevated freeway, where earlier they had shoveled snow into algae plastic bags, Lenny takes an algae plastic bottle from the cart. He screws its mouth into a filter assembly. Vaughn holds up one end of one of the black plastic bags full of melted snow. Lenny screws the intake hose to the bag and turns a small handle on a valve. Water flows into the bottle. When the bottle is full, Lenny shuts off the filter, caps the bottle, and places it in the cart. Many blimp drones hover over the woods and city. Vaughn says, do you think those blimp drones are seeding the atmosphere? Lenny says, where'd you hear that? Vaughn says, guys in my clan were talking about it. Hear me out. There didn't used to be small blimps. They pump out a gas for mind control. Lenny says, mind control to do what? Vaughn says, Femme started having babies. Lenny says, why don't you talk about hauntings anymore? Vaughn says, I still believe in hauntings. When they get all the water into bottles in their cart, they look over the barrier at Green Bluff. Vaughn says, there's a bunch of them. He points at a three-story covered with an added framework of beams and cables. Two buildings joined by a brown covering look like mud was generously poured over them. A dome has been added to one roof, rounding it off. People crawl all over many buildings, adding to the existing exteriors. From a distance, they look as small as ants. Vaughn says, It looks ugly. Why are they doing that? Lenny says, Maybe it makes the building stronger. But why would they work outside in the middle of winter? What's the hurry? Vaughn reaches under a rotted board and pulls out two shovels. He hands one to Lenny. They shovel snow into the empty plastic bags. An hour later, the twins and their cart reach a commercial street that leads to a giantess production center looming in the distance. Cars and bikes pass over the weave surface covering the road. On the sidewalk, addicts lie on the ground, stand stooped over, or sit on worldly belongings lost in VR. A robot that looks like a moving mannequin with visible joints walks toward them. The Sat Link emblem covers its chest. It says, 
Good afternoon, receive a year of free food at McDandy's when you switch to Satlink. The bot holds a gift card out to them. Vaughn waves it away and says, We already have hundreds of those. Lenny says, Yeah, give us a card for Saul's wings. It's true, the boys have hundreds of gift cards, each holding a year's worth of free food at fast food restaurants. The bot changes direction, mimicking Hume movement perfectly. Vaughn says, After the blimp showed up, people started protesting. Lenny says, They stopped protesting after the moon cannons shut down. Vaughn grimaces at him and says, That's what the people are made to believe. The moon cannons are faked. They walk in silence, sometimes sliding on packed snow. Lenny says, Just another year and we'll be old enough to use Jobs Navigator. Then we can order those giantess luncheons. Vaughn says, And I'll never eat fast food again. Lenny says, Why don't link companies offer a year's worth of water for signing up? The twins receive an alert. Their links buzz and a stern femme appears. With a rigid posture, she simultaneously says to each, Young man, I'm not here to call you to your foster care center. As you may know, laws against public schools have been lifted from our great state of Connecticut. Public school is reinstated. A new law requires you to attend school until you're 18. Both boys stop. Lenny smiles and says, wow. Vaughn takes his AR glasses off and says, dude, I hate these alerts. They treat us like criminals. The avatar gives them the location of their new school. She says, we're expecting you to arrive at school at 8 in the morning tomorrow. We see that you're without a guardian. Click the link here and we can assist you with clothing, transportation, and other conditions that may interfere with your education. Vaughn covers his ears even though doing so doesn't stop him from hearing the message. He says, We got to move to a state where they won't make kids go to school. Damn liberals want to take our freedoms away. When they get back to the rest locker building, they knock on a few locker doors until a guy rolls his door up. With wildly disheveled hair and strap marks from his rig on his arms, the guy buys half the bottled water at 10% less than state prices. The twins knock on more doors and find two more buyers to sell the rest. After that, they take the elevator to the sixth floor and enter their locker. They normally live in a ramshackle treehouse, but when temperatures dropped, they moved in here. They plug in the cart. Vaughn kicks back on his puffer blankets. Lenny sits in a folding chair. Folding furniture is popular. His chair can fold up to the size of a cereal box and fold out to a recliner. He traded some water for the chair with one of the pro gamers in the building. There are people in this building who make a living playing games by serving as support players for those willing to pay. Both twins wear their glasses frosted over, moving hands and feet fully engrossed in VR. Lenny plays Diamarian, one of three games that Giantess put out that breaks all popularity records. In Diamerian, seven Earth-sized planets were terraformed centuries ago by people from another solar system. Players can travel between planets if they buy interplanetary travel, join a spacefaring group, or build their own ship. Each world has countries, weather systems, and evolving wildlife particular to that world. Players can choose endless occupations from farmer to space miner. Vaughn plays Gwyn's Request. Equally popular, giantists put it out at the same time as Diamerian, but Gwyn's Request has magic. Spirits, demons, curses, future-telling, and miracles. Gwyn's request doesn't have space travel, but it does have heaven and hell, places the player will go to if they die. Vaughn walks with a clan of nomads across fields between two great mountain ranges. He comes to a stone with carvings on it and says, I found a ruin. Oh, critters, it's one of those math quizzes. Lenny says, play it. You can win a lot by playing those. Vaughn says, nah, I wish you didn't explain what they were to me. It's the only part of this game that I don't like. Lenny, in his game, climbs through a thick forest along a steep slope, traveling with his companion, a femme guide from the kingdom of Bracklock. 
She wears a loom-woven halter top and beads in her hair. He spots a machine relic, pinched by exposed roots at the base of a great tree. He says, I found one too. Something like your ruin stones, but mine looks like the top of a robot head. Vaughn says, I'm sure you're going to stop your game to play it. Lenny scrapes moss off the deeply rusted metal with his fingernails to expose the markings. The carvings make no sense to him. Octavia, his companion, climbs up beside him and says, My father's used that. I think it's calculus. Lenny says, Can you explain to me how it works? She says, I only know a little, but I think I can help. Vaughn says, Just ask assistant. Lenny says, Assistant is disabled in the game, and if I leave the game and come back, a different puzzle is on the relic. He and Octavia talk it over. Below the equation, three answers wait above three holes. To make his choice, he must put his hand into one of the holes. If he chooses the wrong answer, he could lose a hand. It wouldn't be the first time. She won't give him the answer, but she wonders out loud and gives him a sense of how he might solve it. No answer stands out as the certain right choice. He leans toward the middle hole. Octavia says, Are you sure? He shrugs and sticks his hand into the hole. Inside he feels a switch and flips it. The roots they hold onto shake and shift. The machine relic rotates in its entrapment, and the tree next to it leans away from the slope with loud snaps and creaking. At least 20 stories high, the tree knocks into other treetops. Branches snap and fall, some of them dangerously large. Octavia squeals and leaps out of the way of one that could have crushed her. The robot head tears out from under the root system as the tree falls. Giantist distribution centers range in size. The smallest average 10 stories tall and three square city blocks. Each center houses aeroponic produce, brewed foods like yeast beef and yeast-grown spices. If a buyer wants shrimp farmed in North Dakota, they may need to wait a day to have it delivered by blimp drone, but most foods, appliances, clothes, cleaners, tools, toys, gadgets, bikes, cars, and robots can be made locally and delivered within a day. Some call the centers replicators referencing Star Trek. So in the 2050s, we have replicators that can make almost anything on demand. But the smallest replicator is 10 stories tall and 3 blocks by 3 blocks wide. Tamika, featured in episodes 15 and 23, places distribution centers for a living. She studies demand maps, and once she determines an area needs a distribution center, she works out how it'll get power, water, and raw materials. Then she acquires zoning permits. She sends out surveyor bots to examine the site. Architecture and engineering AI make her models of the proposed building. She plans how delivery drones will avoid local airfields. She plans for road construction, water lines, and landing pads. Meeting with locals, she finds out regional needs. One area didn't want an old playfield bulldozed because a world-famous athlete played Little League there. Liberal areas want more recycled goods, so the centers there must be equipped with shredders, sorters, and biobot smelters. In one area, cars are a hot item. Near the water, the center should be able to make the latest, greatest boats. In richer areas, better fabrics should be producible. Near poorer region centers should be equipped to make more folding furniture and yeast packets people add to plant matter to make their own brewed proteins. Each center is fully automated and Tamika intimately knows how to set up each center's network of robots that number in the millions. Some tiny robots custom make jewelry and print teeth. Some large robots can assemble buses and produce prefab housing parts. Tamika sets it all up. For her, it's all in a day's work. When she was 21, she started out screwing tracks on floors for robots to ride on. When Giantess bought out Biotic, her ID switched from Biotic to Giantess and she kept her job. Now 29, she feels emboldened. She doesn't need to tell people who she is. When she chats with superstars, her husband marvels at how relaxed she acts. From her home office in Detroit, she ships her remote robot to each new build site. 
Using VR in a rig, she moves the robot and senses all its senses. It's as good as being there in person. Her robot has her proportions and facial features. Its face is hard-shelled, yet with moving parts it mirrors her expressions. Through the robot, she can meet with clients and use hand tools. In her rig, she attends a ribbon cutting for a new distribution center in Idaho. Miss Idaho cuts the ribbon with 20 people and three remote bots in attendance. As the ribbon flutters to the ground, the first delivery blimp drone takes off from the roof and everyone claps. Tamika walks her robot back to its shipping crate and climbs in before logging off. She says, Assistant, tell Miss Tran the Idaho Center has launched. Assistant says, Right away. Tamika gets out of the rig. Her husband will expect her for dinner soon. Assistant says, You have a meeting request. An icon from Giantess appears in the upper left of her field of view. She says, I'll take it. The icon goes away, and the Jenny avatar appears near the door. She takes a step toward Tamika. Tamika's temperature drops. Jenny AI is the ubiquitous receptionist, secretary, and personal assistant for business. She wears a light blue jacket and skirt. Basic pretty white femme, Tamika thinks. Does the Hume who got scanned for Jenny's features regret having the likeness of the most dreaded avatar? Jenny says, Hello, Miss Rosa, I hope you're well. Congratulations on launching the Kuna Center. I'm here with an update regarding your position at Giantess. After careful consideration and evaluation of various factors, the company has made the difficult decision to restructure certain departments to better align with our long-term business goals. Regrettably, this means that your role within the organization is no longer needed, and we must inform you that your job has reached completion. Tamika dips her head, the hook of a smile on the left side of her lips. Jenny continues, This decision wasn't made lightly, and we want to express our sincere appreciation for your contributions during your time with us. Your hard work, dedication, and professionalism haven't gone unnoticed, and we're truly grateful for the positive impact you've had. Tamika waves her hand and says, Okay, okay, you can stop. Jenny nods her head and shifts her stance. After a few seconds, she says, I have with me several important documents. Tamika cuts her off, saying, Yes, I'll get them from my email. Jenny says, Your giantess email has expired. Tamika says, Okay. She waves her hand impatiently. Just, I'll take them now. A folder icon appears. She clicks on it and it flies over to a miniature image of her homeland before it and the homeland image disappears. Corey, her husband, pokes his head through the door and says, Everything okay? Jenny looks at Corey and nods. Tamika says, I got canned. I guess my number finally came up. He humbly smiles and says, You'll be like the rest of us now. Three new games come out that overturn the market. They're the best in years. Some of the most brilliant game creators produce them. They each redefine what games can be, each in their own way. All other games seem second-rate. Subscribe to play games must switch to play for free. Games that had enjoyed mass online communities suffer the ghost town effect when player populations vanish. Conversely, people who don't play games adapt to their new lives as hardcore players when they get stuck on one of the three games. These games don't say they're for kids, but they're definitely designed to avoid upsetting parents. If one of the games doesn't quite jive with your beliefs, one of the other three certainly will. Vaughn walks with his clan into the remains of an ancient cathedral. Above, light darts across surfaces. Could those be the wings of angels? Sheep take steps on broken mosaics and chew at clumps of grass. The clan leader spots the sheep herder and approaches him. Vaughn's trail companion points up and says, It's said that that great bell up there drops gold coins. Vaughn walks about searching the floor. On one of the bricks he reads, Galileo discovered. He says it aloud. 
Lenny says the Earth isn't the center of the universe. Vaughn says the Earth isn't the center of the universe. He jumps back as the face of the stone crumbles away, revealing a dust-covered scroll inside a square cavity. He says, ah. He snatches the scroll and unrolls it. Lenny says, did what I think happen happen? Vaughn groans. Lenny says, what is it? Vaughn says, it's just instructions on how to build a telescope. He drops the scroll on the ground. Lenny says, don't you want to see what planets are near you? Vaughn says, if I want a science project, I'll go to school. He joins the rest of his clan standing around the sheep herder. In the meantime, Lenny stands at the top of a ladder made of branches and twine. The ladder leans against the giant robot that sits in a field. An open metal door on the back of the robot slightly sways. Octavia stands inside, pressed against machine parts. Lenny watches Octavia as she explains what the different parts do. She says, Do you think you can figure out what's broken about it? Lenny says, That big machine pumps the fluid that drives all the smaller machines. She looks back at him, smiling, and nods. He says, If there's still plenty of fuel, maybe the fuel lines are clogged. She says, not bad. How do you suppose we check that? A spinal implant involves mapping nerve signals, printing new vertebrae, growing a new section of spinal cord, and coaxing the synthetic nerves to join with the patient's nerves. When Dr. Trout completes the surgery and the patient, a war veteran, regains use of his legs, Dr. Henry Trout wins the American College of Surgeons Award. He, his wife, and three kids take a blimp cruise to celebrate. They sit on soft-cushioned seats by wide windows high above the ground. Trudy, his wife and kids, hover near the windows while Henry plays a game called Book Order. In the game, he organizes books on a bookshelf. He starts out organizing ten books on a small shelf. It doesn't matter what organizing system he uses. He can organize them by color, year published, author name, or whatever system he can think of. As soon as he puts the last book in its place, he's given more books on a larger shelf. He's up to 400 books on one long bookshelf in a used bookstore of yesteryear. A game like this only exists because Nuplus users like to play it. Non-Nuplus users have absolutely no interest in playing such a mind-numbing game. He downloaded the app while they waited to board and now he can't stop. Of course, the game is pointless, but he's been zone-starved since his time off started and anything to relieve the anxiety helps. Trudy says he should cut back on Nuplus, at least while on vacation. He tells her it doesn't work that way. He doesn't tell her that there are no known cases of people who take Nuplus getting off it. It isn't addictive, exactly. Hell, he'd love to take a break from hyper-awareness and the insatiable desire to lock into a mental task. His life is great, so he pushes it out of his mind, carries the Whole Earth catalog down the aisle, and places it next to the farmer's almanac. For three hours, he's played this game while the East Coast slides past the window view, and his family pretends that everything is normal. Assistant says, Dr. Trout, you have a notice from work, a request for a level 2 meeting. He says, go ahead. A Jenny avatar appears in the aisle. She wears hospital blue. He knows for a fact that the Jenny office assistant got her looks from a commercial spokesperson from the 2020s. She says, I'm glad you're enjoying some family time. As you may know, a new form of AI is showing a remarkable ability to pick up new tasks with little to no pre-training. I'm sure you'll enjoy this bit of information. Henry makes a circular motion and the bookshelf game disappears. His wife and kids continue to ooh and ah as they point out the window. Jenny says, I do regret to inform you that the highly adaptive medical field has updated and your job completion notice is ready for viewing. He says, who authorized this? Jenny says, no one person authorized this. This is part of a national rollout. He says, I'm the first person to complete a partial spinal implant. I'm up for the Nobel Prize. His voice gets louder. Jenny says, 
With your pension and compensation package, you'll enjoy an income nearly matching your current salary. He stands and sways to maintain balance in the gently rocking airship. Passengers in the lounge glance his way. His family doesn't seem to notice. He says, I'm not worried about the money. My sanity is held in place by my work. Do you get me? Jenny says, I fully appreciate your concerns. Why don't we talk about it? We can take as much time as you need. You can discuss this with me any time of day or night for as long as you need. I'm a fully qualified psychologist and psychiatrist. You may appreciate this statistic. Mental health has improved by 17% since my mind navigator was made available. AI can do most things people can do, and AI can already do those things better than Hume's. There are cognitive feats Hume's can do that AI can't, but those feats occur infrequently. Even the most brilliant mammalian minds are only brilliant on occasion. Mostly they're concerned with fears, security, pleasure, comfort, loved ones, achievement, and social continuity. AI can produce addictive music easily. But only a Hume can come along and make music that starts a new genre of music. AI can be surgeons, but it still takes Humes to develop a new form of surgery. AI can design better shoes, buildings, and robots, but people are already talking about the AI aftertaste, that feeling they get when they can tell something came from AI. It turns out that a major restraint on what AI can achieve involves the number of eureka moments by the people who control them. The mega-wealthy know this. And in the 2050s, it isn't countries competing with each other, but corporations competing with each other. Vaughn has been in a fierce battle for hours. The screechers come down from the West Bank relentlessly, though more elderly, and kids make up their ranks. Vaughn lost his horse Trinity to a crossbow team in the North Keep. The bolt opened up Trinity's nape with a bloody explosion that threw Vaughn to the ground. With hay sticking to mud that covers Vaughn, he stumbles through the crowd, searching for the nearest screecher. At his feet where a dragged body cleared a trail, letters carved in wet stone glisten in the morning light. The letters say, if the earth stops spinning, what happens? Screw those science riddles. This game is supposed to be advertising free, but the science riddles are just as bad. They don't have anything to do with the game. He forgets the message as he makes his way through the rumble to a screecher wielding a mace. Meanwhile, Lenny straps himself into a goat hide rocket seat. With his two NPC companions, he's fixed the jets on the feet of his giant robot and they're preparing to launch. Octavia, in the seat next to his, says, You've checked your orbital altitude, inclination, and eccentricity. He looks at a piece of parchment in his lap where he's drawn out the calculation. He says, Yes. In a chamber below them, Nat, his second knowledgeable companion, hollers, Pause the launch. Someone approaches. Lenny shouts back, Must we pause? Aren't they far enough away? Octavia unfastens her straps. She walks over to the port window, looks down, and says, A femme of noble stature sits on her steam horse at your robot's feet. Lenny grumbles. He undoes his restraints and joins Octavia at the window. Below in the sunlight, a femme with long white hair and fine embroidered clothes calls up to him. Good lad, may I speak with you? News of your curiosity and love of learning has traveled far, and I have an offer for you. Lenny calls down. What's the offer? The femme says. How'd you like to go to the finest school in the land? Lenny looks at Octavia, who seems frozen on the spot. He looks back at the noble femme. From the distance, her expression is hard to make out. The thing is, lately Lenny has been trying to talk Vaughn into going to the new public school and Vaughn has flat out refused. They've even argued about it. Lenny says, Hold on. He walks to the ladder and begins to climb down through the opening in the floor. Octavia takes a few steps in his direction. He says, I'll be right back. She stops, smiling with one eyebrow raised higher than the other. The ladder takes him through three chambers in the robot's trunk, past the upper legs machinery, to a little door. 
He crawls out of the doorway and descends the ladder rungs welded onto the shell of the robot's leg. Then he walks across the metal foot. From where he stands, he looks down at the femme even though she sits atop a steam horse. She looks the way he's come to expect nobles in the game to look, but something about her feels anomalous to him, though what it is he can't put into words. He's never seen an expression like hers. She looks at him like she already knows everything about him. She says, Lenny Carlo, do you mind if I break character in the game? He steps back and says, Break character? She says, I'm another player like you, but I'm not here to play the game. Questions crowd his mind. How'd she get into his single-player game? She's here, but she doesn't want to play the game? How does she know his name? She says, my name is Ms. Tran, and I work at Giantess. I'm here to offer you a chance to attend the best school in the nation in the world. He says, I don't understand. The school is in the game? A smile flashes on her lips. She says, no, this school is in the real world. It's a school for kids who show great curiosity about the world. He says, where is it? She says, it's located inside Giantess HQ Zero in Pittsburgh. He says, you want me to move there? She says, yes, the school has a dormitory. Your family will receive an income as long as you attend. They can't live in the dormitory with you, but they're nice apartments nearby. You can visit them daily if you wish. I know your brother comprises your immediate family. Normally, we need permission from parents. He says, you work at Giantess? A guilty memory of his attacking a Giantess delivery bot crosses his mind. She pauses. She says, I founded Giantess. He says, my brother is my age. Can he go to your school? She says, no, but he can live nearby. Mariah and Kristen have spent 12 years transforming Miss Tran's property from a rugged mess into a world-class garden. Miss Trans found Mariah and Kristen at a permaculture college in Death Valley and hired them there and then. All over the 30 acres, Mariah and Kristen had rock wall terraces built and filled with tons of arborist mulch. The terraces may look beautiful, but they also catch rainfall and slowly release it during dry spells. The marshland garden uses plants to turn all sewer contents into drinkable water. What looks like half of Stonehenge blocks hard winds and improves the microclimates in the gardens downwind. The ponds have basins designed to use sunlight to heat the water. In the winter, the water steams instead of freezing over and heat pumps cycle the water to help heat the home. Goats trim nature back when she tries to overtake the gardens. Mariah and Kristen stay in a cabin tucked away behind the grape orchards. Mariah looks masculine even with a bit of facial hair. She wears coveralls and her short hair stands out. Kristen is tall and wiry. She likes to wear skirts over pants. Mariah rides a bike out to move the goats. When she gets back hours later, Kristen sits on the couch with a gallon container of ice cream in her lap. She says, Did you get the news? Mariah lifts her wide-brim hat, brushes her hand over her hair, and says, What news? Kristen says, You have to wear your AR glasses. You can find out for yourself. Kristen walks to a table, grabs her glasses, and puts them on. A notice blinks in her upper left. She taps it. Jenny appears, takes a step forward, and says, Mariah, first I'd like to convey a message from Miss Tran that your services over the years are much appreciated. Kristen watches Mariah take in the message. Afterwards, they both sit on the couch. Mariah says, I can't imagine robots will be that great at gardening. They may be able to grow carrots, but we designed state-of-the-art living landscapes that harvest power and water while creating pleasant microclimates. I don't think robots can learn what we did at Green Desert University. Kristen says, Permaculture isn't as niche as it was ten years ago. Mariah says, I bet they'll maintain the grounds, but in a few years the living systems won't work as well as they used to and they'll hire us back. Kristen shrugs. She takes a deep breath and says, I've been needing to visit my parents. Mariah says, Where do they live? Kristen says, In a new settlement where the community builds their own houses. Mariah looks alarmed as she says, It isn't in one of the new Christian nationalist states, is it?
Lenny's room has a window that looks out on an atrium. The atrium also serves as a gravity battery well. Weights the size of shipping containers hang on cables. Power is used to lift the weights and when power is needed, the weights slowly descend, pulling a generator that produces electricity. Around the walls of the atrium, small robots cut climber vines away from all the windows. If he presses his face to the glass, he can see the circular opening to the sky, high above. All the advertising has disappeared from his VR and AR environments. He never realized how cluttered it all was. Assistant has been upgraded and now looks like Octavia through his AR glasses. She walks around his room and looks over to smile at him. She says, This room is all yours. It has a bed and a desk. It looks like they left clothes for you. Lenny walks to the bed where folded clothes make up ten stacks. His follow car comes into the room. He and his cart look scuffed and dirty compared to his new surroundings. Octavia says, Do you want to tell your brother that you got here? Lenny hangs his head and says, No. A week later, he's in much better spirits. Over 2,000 students attend the school. Every day is exciting. He attends VR classes and classes in real life. For VR classes, he uses a rig. These aren't the springs bolted to beams that gaming halls in his old neighborhood put together. These rigs use robot arms and move so smoothly that it feels like he's floating when he's in one. His AI teachers come from recordings of the best teachers in the country. His math teacher cracks the whole class up daily. His chemistry teacher explains things so well, every student becomes a huge fan of chemistry. In simulated outer space class, he moonwalks to assemble a solar station one day and repairs a satellite the next. In Biobot 101, in a real lab, he learns to make yeast cultures that taste like bananas. The lab is real, but his teachers are AR holograms. In automation class, he designs and builds his first robot. The code is hard to learn, but Octavia is right there with him, helping him troubleshoot the software. In engineering, he builds model bridges. The kids in his classes are also 15, but the school teaches kids ages 5 to 18. Some of the kids have already gotten PhDs and written papers for science journals. The AI teachers often say the children weren't chosen for brain power, but for curiosity. But everyone feels the pressure. One girl, Grace Knotts, invented a whole new kind of math that most adult mathematicians have trouble understanding. In the lunchroom, a classmate points Grace out to Lenny. She looks sad as she plays with her food. A lot of kids have special needs. Some are extreme introverts and select mutes. Teddy, who sits next to Lenny in lab, slaps his chest at random times and between classes he gets time in a bounce room. Teddy has never met eyes with Lenny. All students are expected to complete a personal project by spring. The projects will be judged, and 40 winners will get to go to camp in space. Lenny develops a snow vacuum that shoots snow into large algae plastic bags. He doesn't think he'll win a summer at space camp, but he's only been at the school a few weeks. It seems like all the kids leave the HQ Mega Building to stay with family when they aren't in school or clubs. Lenny plays Diamerian on his time off. He eats dinner in the cafeteria where at 6 in the evening half the lights are shut off. He sits at one of the dozens of tables. Sometimes another student walks up to the service window, gets a meal, and leaves to return to their apartment. One evening, when he enters the cafeteria, he sees a femme with asymmetric features and disheveled hair. Maybe she's a little older than him, sitting by herself. He brings his dinner tray to where she sits and says, Hi, can I sit here? She doesn't look up at him, but she does nod. As she eats, she stares at an area of the table left of her dinner, so Lenny assumes she sees an AR object. He says, What are you looking at? She says, Not's math. Her voice almost sounds mechanical, lacking emotion. He says, Can I see? She waves her hand and a diagram appears on the table. He's seen Knott's math before and recognizes some of the digits. 
As he takes a bite of his yeast meat burger, he tries to pick up some understanding of the diagram. He says, it's like a primer on Knott's math. She says, it's a map of essential Knott's math. He says, you know Grace Knott's goes here? She says, she's in one of my classes. He says, does it make sense to you? She says, I'm trying to get it. I want to discuss it with her while I have the chance. They say she skips a grade or two each year. The digits look like some artist's idea of what an alien language would look like. The only one he recognizes is zero. He understands the three places play a part in the value of each digit, but the concepts of each place slip away from his understanding before he can comprehend. He says, most math professors have given up trying to use it. She says, I want to get it. Now her voice does have an edge of determination to it. One morning as he walks to the rig gym, one of his classmates, Floyd, walks up beside him and says, do you see the big picture here? Lenny smiles with a sneer and says, are you going to tell me they're brainwashing us? Floyd laughs bitterly. He says, No, tell me this. What'll they want from us when we're done with all this free education? Lenny says, Giantists will want us to work for them in research and development and never work elsewhere. Floyd says, And you're okay with that? Did your parents praise you for saving the family and now mommy can give you more brothers and sisters? Lenny blinks rapidly. Has Floyd ever spent time in foster care or juvie? Lenny says, As long as I like my job, I want to discover. Floyd grunts, speeds up, and walks ahead. In Robot Lab, before class starts, Lenny notices two girls sharing an AR element. They watch the same spot on the table with solemn concentration. The one nearest Lenny jumps in her seat when he says, Can I see? She says, No. At the same time, the other girl says, Sure, and swipes across the table and up toward Lenny's glasses. He sees a hologram of a femme wearing a shirt with the Luna emblem on it. The femme's expression and tear-streaked face make hairs stand up on his neck. He says, Who is she? The girl nearest him says, Shh. The other girl says, Haven't you heard? They shut down the moonshot program. Lenny silently mouths, What is that? Octavia says, The moonshot program protected the earth from heating up. After it shut down, one of the personnel refused to leave and she discontinued her life on a live stream. The nearest girl jumps up and runs away squealing, I can't watch! The other girl goes after the first, and the hologram goes with her. Confused, Lenny watches them leave the lunchroom. Should he have said something different? Wearing new clothes strapped into a rig in his apartment, Vaughn walks in VR. He walks in darkness toward a huge bonfire in the middle of a field. A few dozen avatars stand around the fire, casting long shadows. When he reaches the group, some glance at him and nod. Even if they have dog heads or robot bodies, Vaughn can tell most of these avatars are dudes. He imitates the others and watches the fire as a cowboy avatar speaks. If you watch the footage closely, you can notice that her tear trails go down her face. If she's in space, why would her tears go down? Some of the others say, yeah, and that's right. The cowboy says, the truth is the moonshot program never existed in the first place because no one has ever survived two miles above the earth for very long. The Tower of Babel teaches us we're limited to how high we can go above the Earth. Personally, I don't think there is an outer space. A character from a Vampire Hunter series says, That makes sense. Finally, something that makes sense. The cowboy says, They're just trying to scare us. I agree with them that the world will end, and real soon. I just think it'll end when Jesus returns and punishes all the non-believers. Half the avatars say, Amen. Vaughn looks around. He's made it into a big boy's club, and nothing can feel more satisfying.
Thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is in 20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.